This is Infidel One. Offending Coyote Down. Offending Coyote Down. Roger that. Welcome to Trappin' Radio. We're proud, organic, free-range, wild fur farmers of North America. Let me tell you a little story about how I was raised. Every day work, every day pray. God, family, friends, yeah, everybody sins. A winner never quits, and a quitter never wins. Help folks in need, don't fall for greed. A jealous man is weak, so think before you speak. If you love them, let them know. If you hate, let it go. Fast can be fun, but sometimes you need slow. God is all good, the devil is so real. So listen up, y'all, because this is how I feel. I won't back up, I don't back down I've been raised up to stand my ground Take my job, but not my guns Tax my check till I ain't got none Except for the good Lord of above I answer to no one Now let's cover our sponsors. They do a lot to help support Trapping Radio. So I'm asking you guys out there and gals, to help support our sponsors as they keep trapping radio on the air. First sponsors, Oki Cable and Trap Supply. Jeb's the owner of this. He's out of Oklahoma, super guy. You'll not meet anybody nicer. It's somebody you're gonna wanna deal with. You can reach him at OKTrapSupply.com. You can give Jeb a call at 918-429-4648. Not only does he do trap supply guys, he's a fur buyer, so if you're around the Oklahoma or surrounding states, give him a call with your fur. When you need stuff, give him a call and he'll get it out to you as soon as he can. Our second sponsor is F&T Fur Harvesters Trading Post. Everything you need for trapping, hunting with hounds, and predator calling. Guys, if you're into trapping fur, hunting fur, chasing fur with dogs, you're not gonna be able to think of hardly anything that you can't get from F&T. You can reach them at fntpost.com. You can also give them a call at 989-727-8727. Whatever you want, F&T's got it. Wildlife Control Supplies. Proven solutions for wildlife control. Delivering value, expertise, and products to the wildlife individual. If you're in the ADC business, control business, even fur trapping, you need to look at these guys' website. Top-notch company, have everything you would want, even the odd stuff that ADC guys are looking for. You can reach them at wildlifecontrolsupplies.com. You can give them a call at 877-684-7262. International number is 860-844-0101. If you're a wildlife control professional, you need to have wildlife control supplies as one of your favorites on your computer or your phone because when you come across something that you need specialized equipment, Alan will get it right out to you. Now let's go traffic. Toting son of a gun, yeah, I'm hell on the heart, just a rebel on the run. Scared, don't know it, fear, don't feel it. The truth is the light, sometimes you gotta fight. Good beats bad, right beats wrong. I'm a ballroom preacher and this is my song. I'm climbing for the top, representing for the country. I'm the people's champ, right out to dead camp. Shotgun toter, Republican voter, Hank Jr. supporter, let's protect our border. 
to hell with anyone who don't believe in the USA. Cause this is what I say. I won't back up. I don't back down. I've been raised up to stand my ground. Take my job, but not my Hello guys, this is Clint Locklear with Trapping Radio and we've got a, what I think is going to be a very entertaining um, <clears throat> podcast. It's early morning for me, normally I do these late in the evening and uh, I've got some stuff coming up this weekend but I have a feeling you're going to find out about it next week or the week after and you'll probably see some footage of it and I think you're going to see what, what can happen when you really want to enjoy the outdoors. So. Uh, looking forward to that. That's the reason um, this is, I may be a little slower, cough a little bit more, I don't know, because of the being early, but I got my bone broth right here to, to help keep the, the throat working a little bit. Good stuff. Um, I want to start off with a couple of small things before we actually get into the topics about catching stuff. Guys, if you hadn't noticed, uh, you're in a political war that you have never seen before and you're about to see it get a lot worse now i did a rant about this uh on the rant of a free trapper which is uh you can you know listen to on trapping radio of how i think the democrats are going to do this but when you look at the, the news coverage from a uh, mainstream media of what the rally was and then you go and you do a little bit of digging about what it actually was where people are are actually breaking bricks out of the cobblestone streets of Washington and throwing it at cops and people and, and knocking people over and what they're saying and what I, I, it is it, it has hit the level of insanity and I think this is just the beginning so just just hold on a little bit uh, this has nothing to do with Trump uh, and this really has nothing to do with Democrats per se these are just liberals that want to absolutely crash America and if you think that's a good thing, even though that's where the pendulum says everybody's gonna be and we're about right here, it's not gonna be as fun as people think because your daily life would get so screwed up if it keeps getting worse and worse that uh, it can lead to a chain of events none of us want to. So just kind of hold on. I'd get a little bit prepared if I was you. I'd have some water and food on hand, different things like that. Uh, just because you don't know how far this is gonna go uh, you know, they were talking about putting stuff in the air-conditioned units. They got caught doing that on film uh, in, in the White House to try to poison or just stink out Trump and all the people. I mean, it's just turned absolutely vicious. So, you know, when I see the protesters, I'm looking at what I consider almost as in the, the, the real definition of uncivilized, that's them. They are getting close to being animals in the way that they're thinking. And sooner or later, when an animal keeps biting you and biting you and biting you, you've got to do something about it. And that's kind of what I'm worried about because normally when the conservative folks, we get upset, we protest, and we may holler a little bit. We don't throw bricks, burn buildings. Hey, y'all calm down. Um, you know, knock out windows, loot, try to hurt people. I mean, all the stuff that's going on, it's so radically different because if we ever got to that point, the difference between us and liberals is we're probably going to come armed. So, uh, you know, I hope we never get to that point, but it looks like they're going to see how far they can, they can keep poking regular flyover working Americans in the chest before we do something back. And I have no idea what's going to happen. But uh, another thing that uh, on the rant of, uh, rant of a free trapper, 
that I think you may enjoy is uh, I talk about if you need to lose weight or whatever I did a rant on there yesterday about diet and you may just want to take the the time to go listen to that because as most y'all know I look at things in a lot different manner and I go into some of that and I get kind of excited once or twice so it'll be entertaining plus it'll be pretty cool to listen to now I've got an email here that uh, I have not checked this out but I, I'm sure the information's good so if you've got Netflix you need to go look at this but here's a um, email from Clint E and it says uh, he's talking about a rant uh, saving the past setting the future and children see setting the future and children being brainwashed by schools seems they're teaching kids to be pansies these days go tell a teacher when being bullied what happened to self-defense and fight when needed reason for this my daughter uses uh, used to stick to me like glum on the bottom of my shoe what gives them the right to brainwash our children and how does someone desensitize a child to bring them back to the real world now that I'm going to talk about that in just a minute, but it says, P.S., real cool series on Netflix, and I haven't checked this out yet, because I'm, I'm uh, when I do get a chance to watch TV, I've been watching Black Sails, uh, starting from the beginning, and but I will probably watch this, but it's called Frontier, and it's about the fur trade in the battles of England. So that sounds like something would be right up our alley. So the, the name of it is just Frontier. You can probably just hit that in the search bar of your Netflix and it'll come up. I'm looking forward to I get done black sales to see what that's all about. So uh, that's kind of the uh, what's kind of going on a little bit. I tell you what, guys, you want to talk about frustrated? I was on wimp duty for so long because of my eyes. So finally, uh, I, I get off wimp duty. I'm allowed to bend over. I'm allowed to pick something up. All that type stuff. So I got out. And I go set some beaver snares. And that next night, we've been having some tremendous rain. We couldn't get any all summer. We're getting it all right now. And they're under, underwater. So I back up. I set more. They're underwater. I set more. They're underwater. So right now, I've got three levels of beaver snares. <clears throat> that when the, water's go, when the water starts going down, it's going to have me hopping pretty good. But that's just trapping. I mean, that, that really is just trapping, you know. So there's sometimes there's no way you can really get around that type of thing, but that's just the way it is. But we're going to talk about two uh, main subjects today, and, and I, I did a video that should be up on YouTube. I was downloaded it last night, and it's a location that's really close to my house, but I cannot get permission from the guy to trap it. And I show this on, on YouTube on my, my channel, Wolfer Nation, and I want to talk a little about, about hedgerows. Because most of the time when people talk about trapping, or they think about trapping, it seems like they're thinking about the fields, the, the riverbanks, or, or you know two tracks going through the woods or something like that. But I want to talk about a location that I really, really like to trap. And it's what I'm calling hedgerows. Now, it's very different from a fence row, because if, if, if you've got a fence row and the farmer or the cows keep it clean, that's a fence row. What I'm talking about, which we have a lot around here in a lot of different parts of the country, it's where the farmer, you know, for a couple of years, he didn't really clean the fence line. It starts growing up in the fence or one side of the fence is not clean because one landowner doesn't do what the other one does. And then it gets built up and he takes a bush hog, but he don't want to run it into the fence. You got like six inches of different stuff growing up. Then next year it grows more and then it's like 12, 12 inches. Well, over the course of the year, like the one you're going to see on YouTube, 
it's you know 12 feet wide by this point it's just privet and and oaks and black walnuts and different things like that growing in it you know primrose everything else is just gnarly and nasty and on one side of the fence it's clean and on the other side you got this 12 foot across hedgerow is, is basically what i call it now they don't have to be that big guys to to follow what i'm getting ready to talk about today they really don't but that is one of well, that is one of the locations that i really key on depending on the terrain and what i'm going after now what makes the hedgerow such a a a cool thing well for one if you've got fields on both sides and it's winter time and and the farmer came in and combined or disc or or did whatever or it's just got cow pasture on the other side kind of like this one does you know he had corn in there or beans i'm not sure which one this year and then on the other side it's just cow pasture and on the the bean side or the corn side is where this this hedgerow is now the reason they're cool is there's so much food in there there's not a lot of food out in those really sparse uh, fields like where the cows take it down to a quarter inch like it's on the other side or where it's been round up in the spring and then you get the the shade of the plant and then they come in and crop it and it's getting late in the year and you know nothing really has a chance to grow back so there's not a lot of prey animals so there's not a lot of food so where do all those mice and and different stuff like that go to all the birds the groundhogs everything they go to those hedgerows they can get in there because in the summer it's cooler and in the winter they're out of the wind more than they're out in the open so it's a better place for them to live the predators know it and that's where they're going to be looking for food so you've got the food and the cover and then um, that by itself makes it a, a, a serious location if you're thinking about it where if you're thinking about any type of predator and he's looking for food now there's there's two ways that i want to get you to start thinking about these hedgerows you have the inside and you have the outside the inside has its own kind of way when you set it up which we're going to cover and the outside also has the only way that you're going to set it up now when you're looking at these hedgerows if you're coming off a main road like the one that's on the video the best place to set that is right in front of the hedgerow because if cows are coming around the outside of it and you got cats and fox and coon coming down the middle of it which is what happened then they're gonna all run into the trap but that but you've got a road right there now you could cable them off in there and hope they get deep enough that you know, all the traffic doesn't see it it's it that that location is too dangerous for a drag because you got the main road to go get hooked up on the asphalt or something can you imagine getting smacked by an 18 wheeler news crew out there and there's a trap on this thing and before you know it we're all going to be murderers because we're setting coyote traps where they get caught on the road or something so you know just keep that stuff in mind but i want to start with the inside of the hedgerow any hedgerow and i've yet to find this i'm sure there is and, and if you can find one uh you won't find many of uh, the hedgerow is going to have a trail in the middle and it's almost dead in the middle almost every single time and it's wore out and the reason it gets wore out is because the the, the predators use it for hunting ground and they also use it for travel way so they start working through this thing and trails start showing up and the one you see on the video, I wish I'd have videoed that at night because it almost looks like a beaver slide when you get some, some uh, shadows on it because the trail is so deep 
into, into the ground and grass where this has been happening for years. It drives me nuts, to be honest with you. I drive past it every day and I can't set it. The goddess won't let me set it. But you got the predators and stuff that are moving in the middle. I've seen two bobcats come out of that in the last couple of years, dead off the trail, bolt in front of me. Uh, could have been the same one, not sure. But uh, when we do have, we don't have a lot of coons here, but when we do have some coons, that's usually one of the places you'll see one or two of them get smacked. Um, I've, I've kind of, let's just say I know somebody that looked around at one time before he went and asked permission and there was definitely gray fox working up and down it. And um, so that, that, that lets me know that there, there's coon, there's bobcats, and there's fox. Gray fox I'm talking about, gray fox. So we're looking at this and we're, we know the trail is there and if you're in a state that can use body grips on, on the ground and it's legal to use, check your laws about everything that I say guys because where I trap and where you trap I guarantee is different and the laws are going to be different. It's different between me and Alabama, it's different between me and Kentucky, it's really different for me and the northern folks up there. So check your laws but if you can run uh, 220 on that and you can really block it down and put three or four on that trail You'll catch gray fox, you'll catch cats, and you'll catch coons, no problem whatsoever. Now you can also use um, snares if it's legal where you're at, which is what I do here because we have some pretty lenient snare laws here. You know, we don't have to use cable restraints and stuff like that because it'd be hard to set this up with a cable restraint inside of it the way that I set them up because there's so much entanglement. And that's part of the reason I like using snares the way that I do inside the entanglement because they get entangled, they expire, they quit moving for the most part. But you can go in there with some snare supports or wire because there's so much brush in there and you can put out five or six or, or even up to 10 snares on a really good hedgerow like you see on that video. <coughs> and there's a good chance to catch two or three animals in the night. But the reason I set so many snares in them because the snares are fast they blend in real well in all that darkness, especially at night. And I don't have to take time to remake sets when I make a catch. So if I've got 10 in there and I catch two animals and you go a couple days and I catch one animal, I've just lost those snares. But all I do is cut the cable off, take the animal, go put it you know, in the, on the, in the back of the Jeep, and then I go down the road. I'm not having to wait there and put in new snares. So I'd rather do it all at once instead I have to you know, piddle that time out the way that what a lot of guys will do if you're just going to set one or two snares in it. So that's kind of my strategy. Now inside of that, you can do dirt holes and flat sets and stuff. But my question is why, why, why would you do that? The animal's telling you exactly where he is. If you can't use snares and you can't use body grips, and then and there's always going to be leaf uh, duff and stuff inside these things, you know, just kind of get you a crude trap bed, cable it off to a tree, put some duff over it and call it good. You might want to play with some X crossing sticks or whatever you want to do. But you know, don't spend a whole lot of time on that. The animals have narrowed it down so close to where you're supposed to be. Why in the world would you go and try to get them off the trail to get in the set? It just makes no sense whatsoever. If you just have to use a set inside of this thing and then put the trap in the trail where it's still a blind set, but you've got a dirt hole or a flat set off to the side. That, that's what I would recommend. 
don't overcomplicate this stuff when you're when you're out there. So when you see these hedgerows, automatically first thing is to look at them. Now the fun part of these, if you're on on property that you're on, you know, you know you're driving four wheeler or, or walking, doesn't make any difference, I guess. And you're inside the property where well, you're not up next to a main road, and the farmer or the landowner has cut throughs from one field to the next. Oh, that's just uh, you know I get giddy at places like that because you know I don't have to worry about being on the road, and the vehicle can I can stop the vehicle right in the cut through the two track that goes through that from one field or the other, and the trail and location stand out really really well. And it gives me a couple of other options that we're getting ready to talk about. So always look for those trails. They're really used a lot. And if you're always just sitting on the edge, guys, you're missing fur. And that's just a shame because you're already there. You I mean, you're already there. Why would you not set up one of the main trails while you're already there, how you're doing it? Now, what I do want to caution you against is being small-minded when you're setting these up. Now, you may think, okay, we're driving through the cut-through. We've got hedgerows on both sides. You can see the trail, plain as day, and you're gonna get out and you're gonna put a set right there, uh, uh, like a, a, a dirt hole set or something right there in the, in the cross through. For one, there's a good chance you're gonna get ran over. Two, you got a lot of weird wind stuff that can happen when you got those chutes because the wind will speed up through there. So it may take your lure away from your set. And if you're thinking, well, I can also catch coyotes, you can, but you're gonna be off location uh, several, several feet by doing that most of the time. Now there will be coyotes that use those cross-throughs. I'm not saying they're not, but we can still catch them and have a higher percentage on the outside. So we've got the inside of this hedgerow that's gonna be covered up with snares, traps, whatever you're gonna do. We've got that covered. Now you've got the edges of this hedgerow. Now you're talking about red fox, coyotes, and bobcats for the most part. You will have some coon out there, but it's not going to be near as much as it is inside because that's where their food's at. So it's not going to be that. And the gray fox would much rather be inside of that to work something than they would being on the outside. So when you're looking at the hedgerow, like the one on the video, you'll see there's a left side and a right side. And, you know, if you're looking straight at it. So what I try to do is I, if there is a cut through, I will set uh, a coyote set, flat set, dirt hole, uh, buried bait, uh, portable pocket, whatever, and I will set one on each of the outside edges, four or five feet away from the actual edge a lot of times, sometimes it's, if, the, if the set just shows itself right up against the side, but I want the coyote sets are gonna be on the outside. Now the reason for that is, is coyotes just by nature, they have a tendency on these hedgerows if they're working in pairs, which they do a lot, one will get on one side and one will get on the other side and they will trot almost side by side at a good click down through that hedgerow. And what they're doing is one is always gonna be downwind and is gonna be able to see and smell and one's gonna be able to see. And what they're doing, just like if you were gonna go push deer or something, they're gonna try to push a rabbit or whatever it is they're chasing, a groundhog, something like that. And they cover a tremendous amount of ground for that. So that, that's the reason I think that, um, that it's the best way to go. I mean, it, it definitely is. So um, have them on the outside, 
for the coyotes and have the the cats and stuff on the inside if you want to do a, a traditional like i do that you know cat collector style bobcat set putting that in the chute is a good place for a bobcat and the reason being if you're using the flags and you're using the chute system like the way that i use on my bobcat sets if a cat is walking on the side and you've got the flag swinging in the middle you've really got his attention and if he's going down the trail and he comes out to the opening you've got his attention but if you just try to do that with your coyotes there's a there's a good chance you're going to miss as many coyotes as you're going to get worked that set and it may only be 10 or 15 feet difference but guys i'm telling you that makes a big difference when it comes to your coyote catch that is one of those 80 20 rules that that guys that are new struggle with and guys have been doing it for a long time it, it just they don't even think about it anymore because over the years they sit in the middle of these and they know eh, it's okay and then they sit on the outside and they rack them up so when they see it they automatically know outside then that's the reason i come to the conclusions that i come to so that's the way now if you're in the midwest you you have something that's similar to a hedgerow in a lot of places but it's really not a hedgerow it's more this tall grass it's usually got a ditch involved with it and it's it's the, to keep flood water off or to irrigate or do something like that and some of the only some of these midwestern fields i've looked at i mean they go on for for miles and it, you can tell they got this close close crop field on both sides and they've got all this really thick grass sometimes there's some trees most of the time it's just grass and a little bit of scrub brush or something in there if it's dry look at the trail that's in the bottom of that holy cow i mean that thing is it, it, it especially in that grass it shows up very very well but on the outsides still do the uh the, the couch sets now one thing to think about the hedgerow back when i used to snare a lot more fox than i do now just because of what i was doing I, I caught way more fox here in snares than I did in footholds because I found the snares were so much simpler. And once I kind of figured out the fox and how they worked from one field to the next, it was just easier. So when you're looking at a hedgerow, not only do you have the middle trail, sometimes a cut through in the outside edges, if that hedgerow butts up to another, like a wood line, like you're going to see in the video, or another hedgerow or something like that you've just hit pay dirt man you just hit pay dirt so what you're going to want to do is go to the very corner and you can set a foothold out on the edge if you want to that's not normally what i do what i do is i locate the trail when the animal is on say the wood line and it could be five or six feet in the woods it could be 10 or 15 feet out in the hedgerow it could be right where they intersect and it's usually right in there you will see a definite trail from one field to the next. Now, if they're giving you that trail, coyotes, cats, stuff like that, they're giving you that trail exactly where they're going to put their head or they're going to put their feet, I think it's a better option to hang a snare or blindset it or put the trap right out in the edge directly in front of that thing where there's no way they can miss it. But for you guys that's got red fox in your area, and you've never really snared because you have luck when it comes to the footholds just give this a try when you go to the, any of those hedgerows or big fence lines are grown up some and you go to where they butt up against some woods or or some other type of structure that an animal can move through you will see this definite trail now when i see that 
and I know I'm in an area that's got red fox, I'll put two or three snares on that thing. And a lot of times I've got two or three fox waiting on me in a couple of days, if not the first night. I mean, it is amazing how effective that is. That's also one of my hottest locations for coyotes when it comes to snaring. Next to, rigid, uh, next to the rivers is one, and this is definitely another one. Now, if this hedgerow, and I've got several locations like this uh, down further in the valley, if this hedgerow goes to the wood line and the wood line has got just like the little zone where they don't cut the trees and stuff like that, a lot of times it's only 15, 20 feet, oh my word. Now, now as, a, as a couch trapper or snareman at this time, I am slobbering like it's almost Thanksgiving dinner. Because when that hedgerow hits that wood line and you've got the river, you funneled everything and there's going to be usually one major trail and a couple of small minor trails. I'll put two or three snares on each one of them and death and destruction is on its way. Because, I mean, that's like the best it can, it can, you can get. Now, the hedgerow going down, look for that too, even if there's not a river. You will definitely see it. Now, if, if it's one that's being heavily used by deer, you can see from the tracks if there's bob wire you can kind of crawl in there and look at the fence if it's heavily used by a deer do not hang a snare in that trail guys or you're, you're gonna have to be trying to figure out what you're gonna do with the deer the next morning so use some common sense when it comes to, to what i'm telling you here just because something is effective doesn't mean that's something you always should be doing because of everything else that can happen so use your head now now I want to get into something I'm kind of excited about. And before I do, uh, I'm kind of calling this the death and destruction of coon and otter traffic because I have a feeling that this is going to be one of the coolest systems that, I, that I'm going to play around with. But I want to give a disclaimer before we get started. This is not going to be a system to be used everywhere especially around heavy populations of people. Uh, you they, Again, you need to use some common sense. Act like a grown man or woman when you're out there doing this stuff. So know if your laws, what the law allows you to do. And even if the law allows you to do what I'm getting ready to say on a big scale and, it, and, you're, and you can get in some weird situations because of people and pets and things still don't do it. I mean... For goodness sake, don't do it. We, we don't need that type of um, publicity. So that's kind of my disclaimer. Only use it when it makes sense and, and make sure you know what your laws are. See, like in Mississippi and Louisiana, you can absolutely do this. You try to do this in Tennessee, you're going to go to jail if you try to do it on dry land. You know, so uh, keep that in mind with, with what I'm getting ready to tell you. And I want the, the, the small trap guys... Please take your small trap uh, mindset for just a little bit, put it in a little box and put it on the shelf. Do me that favor. Because if you don't, you're gonna be blowing up in just a second and you're gonna be in severely mental torment and, and there's no reason to be. Because if I choose to do something or someone else chooses to do something and you don't think it's the best way to do it, that doesn't mean you're right. Nor does it mean that if I'm disagreeing with you, does that mean that I'm right? There's some situations where this would be really, really slick. Now, so if you're, if you're thinking, you know, if, you're, if you get mad at me when I'm using number threes, 
on on beaver and mink sometimes you know you're not going to like this segment and if you if you're if you want to go down to a one or a, a number 11 or one and a half and you think uh you know that extra inch is just way too much you're not going to like what i'm going to say now i know you can catch coon in smaller traps than what i'm getting ready to mention so don't 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 let that fog what your your brain's going to be saying here because uh, I, I want you just to, to have an open mind about what we're getting ready to talk about. So just listen before you get upset and you can you can disagree with me and I hope we can shake hands when we get done because everybody's got different views on how they think the best thing to do. Now Scott Adams did a really good video on how to catch coon in five by five body grips that allows him to go out on public ground in, in Ohio and catch a lot of coon that most people just don't know how to set. So you can go all the way down to a five by five and I know it'll work. But also know there's some coons that aren't gonna go through that. And being an equal opportunity coon taker, I want to catch them all. Now, what I'm talking about because of where I trap, most of the time, this is always gonna be in the water. Now, when I, when I see the high bank trails, I'm not putting this up on the high bank. There's too many pets around me, too many feral cats, feral dogs. I just don't want any problems, and it's illegal here in Tennessee anyway. So then I'm going to grab my, my, you know, my FB ones or twos. I'm going to do the dog proof thing. I'm going to put the coon crack or federales if it's cold down in there with the coon crack. I'm going to set the high bank trails, and I'm not even going to think about this. So you may be wondering, this sounds like it could be really dangerous, and I'm sure some of you probably will, um, but that's just gonna be the difference of opinion here. So Chip at Expand the Pan, and y'all know him because he's done a lot of shows for me, when, especially when I was having the eye surgery or when I'm out of town or something like that. Great guy. He does the Expand the Pans. We just bolt them on to get bigger pans. Well, he has a 330 Bilal pan, and I've always been intrigued with the pans. You know, I played around some of them with mink and I felt like the, the, the sometimes the mink would hop through them with, with that type of thing. I played around some with buckets with 220s. It, did, it definitely helped with coon, you know, but I've never seen one that's as functional as the one that Chip come out with. Now, the reason my brain went this way, guys, and the reason I'm kind of getting a little fired up with it is a meat trapper uh, sent me a text on one of Chip's pans in front of a set. And the way that he took the picture, the, the angle that he took the picture, I had like sirens and fireworks going off and there was hallelujah singing, you know, out somewhere behind me in the house. I mean, it just really triggered something in my mind. So what I'm talking about is coons, beaver, and otter with 330s, one trap with this, this expand a pan for the 330s on here. Now the reason I like this, and you may disagree, and that's totally fine. I've got a lot of night vision footage to back up what I'm getting ready to say. The most negative part of a 330 is the wires. It is the, it is the downfall of that trap. You still catch a lot. But I promise you, you put trail cams on, you're going to miss way more than you catch. Animals do not like trying to crawl through and push through metal. Not if they have an option. If you give, That's why you can snare more stuff than you can conibear. Normally, because the, the coon 
or the beaver or the otter does not want to run their face up against something and have to push their way through it if they have an option if they don't have an option they'll do it anyway sometimes they're just thinking about their girlfriend or whatever and they're going to do it anyway but you're going to have a lot of problems and the reason that i believe this back when i was doing uh, i don't know 15 years ago when otters were like crazy crazy high i'm down in louisiana and i've got a bunch of these uh 330 savages but they're bigger than that they're like uh, I think they're 10 by 12 or something like that. They had the breaker bars on there. Very expensive trap now. They weren't that expensive then. They're like 400 something dollars now a dozen. And, uh, I, you know, the otter, some of those otter were bringing $150, $180 for those really pale ones coming out of the uh, Louisiana and the Delta. So I'm looking at these traps and I can see because there's a lot of pressure, a lot of people trapping them. The otter were going around and I, and I had several that would go through the trap and it just bugged me. So I went back to the farmer in his shop and we cut those very expensive uh, three bigger 330s up. I extended them out to 16 inches. We took a square tubing on the bottom jaw, notched it so it would hold the trigger. We put little goal posts out towards the ends and I just ran a couple of different strands of trip wire through there. And trip wire is very, very fine. It's much smaller than a trigger wire is on a 330. And I remember setting those in those creeks. I could block the creek down more, but having the vertical trip wires, all of a sudden my otter catch jumped. I mean like overnight jumped. There was more otter in that place than I ever thought there was. Now the downside of what I was doing is every time you made a catch, you had to replace the trip wire, and that was not the fastest thing to be doing, especially while you're road trapping. So that was one negative of it. But the positive was it showed me that the animals would go through that because it didn't seem like it was anything at all. But you put them big, big wires, and I want you to think about the size of your head to the size of a coon's head or an otter's head or a beaver's head. I mean, what is our head? Five times, eight times is, is big. So if I was going to set a 330 for you or a 220 for you, whatever it is, I want you to think if you, if you make the trigger wires that much bigger because your head's bigger and that's what you're going to be seeing from, from, the, from the animal's point of view, not our point of view, where it looks little to us because we're big. They're small, so it looks big. Now you're, you're asking them basically to run their face into something and probably be like a three-eighths inch rod. And, and you, you can, hopefully you can see that that's an issue. And if you think that animals just don't pay any attention to, to body grips, then you need to bring out the trail cameras, guys, because they definitely do. So that's where I've never liked the trigger part of the body grips because I know... I know I've seen too much in my life to know that animals do not like going through there all the time. So that, that that's kind of all this is in my head. So I see this picture from Meat Trapper and the explosions are going off and I'm like going, that is the ticket. Now we're flooded out right now, so I'm not going to get to play around, but I'm going to definitely keep you all in tune about what's going on with this. So in my mind, I know the triggers are bad. I'm going to give you another story about being in Mississippi when me and Ed was down there. And uh, if you've seen the picture at my booth, where I've got nine of these great big 30 pound plus otter caught in one day on the steps. This is that line. This is the same time period that you've seen that picture at the uh, the conventions. So we're 
we're setting anything that's got water that goes anywhere with 330s. We're blocking them down, we're doing all this stuff. And a lot of these little creeks that go through the delta from one little by or swamp to the next, you're only talking, you know, four to six inches deep and maybe a foot wide, a couple of feet wide. They're going down the road ditches. I mean, we're catching otter everywhere. But the only thing we wanted was otter. And we're catching a bunch of beaver, but we averaged 18 coon a day on that trip. 18 a day and never tried once to catch a raccoon. Not once. Catching those. So keep that in mind when we get further into this discussion. The other thing, I want you to, to mentally, and if you're in Iowa, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, if you're in different parts of the country, you may see this different. Uh, around here, if you if if you were going to try to road trap, you would definitely see my point on that because we're in a uh, pretty steep country. In Iowa, I want you to go back and I want you to visualize with me. We're going down the road. It's about uh, four o'clock in the morning. You can't even hardly get your hands to work because you, you because of all the stuff you were doing the day before. You know, you're trying to like dig the sleep out of your eyes and pound coffee down and all that type stuff. It's 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 cold, it's frosty, it rained a couple of days, so it's muddy. And this is true. So you're going down the road, it's pitch black dark. And you come up to the bridge that you got traps on. And the first thing you do most of the time is like get out of the truck a lot of times and you'll try to see if you have your traps if your trap is still there with the light or there's a coon there because you can see it floating in the water if you're drowning or whatever now with using footholds just because there's no coon there doesn't mean that the traps not snapped off because you've got beaver and all kind of stuff in those waters out in Iowa but you look over you look over the the bridge you got your big light on and you look down and you really can't tell if the trap is set or not, but you don't see a coon. So you've got to come to this decision. Am I going to walk down there to do this? And the reason this was an issue, a lot of the banks where I was trapping, they would be like 30 and 40 feet from where the road was at going down to the water with all this, this dirt and mud. And we're talking not straight off, but dang near straight off. And there's just a good a chance one of these times you're doing this that you're going to go swimming. And that doesn't sound very fun because it's cold. But in the back of your mind, you're going, if the trap's not set, I can't catch anything and I really can't tell. So there you go. You walk to the edge of the bridge. You're, you're trying to dig your heels in to get down there. And the trap is either set or it's not. You gotta wallow yourself all the way back up that muddy bank to get back in the truck. And then like three minutes later, this same situation happens again. 10 minutes later, it happens again. It's starting to get daylight. It's not like that water out there is crystal clear like we have here. So then even in the daytime, if you can't see the trap, you don't see a coon and you can't see the trap is set, you're gonna probably have to go check it. Now, that was really bothering me, you know, because it was, the, the banks were so steep in some of these places that it was like tremendous amount of energy. And, and trust me, even though you don't have something, I don't care how well you bed the trap, you're going to have a certain percentage of them are going to snap off if you run enough of them. So you've got to, you know, do your part as a trapper to go down there and check it out. So that led me to trying something when I was out there, and it worked fairly well. 
And this is the fairly well that I do not like as, as a trapper. I did catch coons, but I could tell that it was not as effective as it was with the footholds or something else when I was trapping in the water. The coons, a lot of times, would try to reach in through the, the, the wires or they would, they would start screwing with the trap because they had these wires in their face and they would fire it off or, or, or pull it out or something like that. But I did catch coon. So I want you to, with the regular triggers, you will catch coon, no doubt. But I don't like something I don't feel is not that effective. Now, when I saw the picture from Meat Trapper and I saw that great big glorious hole with like the, you know, the, the angel halo sitting over it, which it wasn't in the picture, but that's kind of what my brain was seeing. I had this great big opening the pan was right at water level and there's nothing in that gaping hole. Nothing. Now he's setting it for beaver. He's wearing beaver out with it, by the way. But So that pan of chips gives me an option that I know if I went back out to Iowa, I'd be running my, my, my dog proofs on dry land. I'd probably be running some uh, snares and then in the water when I needed to be in the water, this is what I would be using. It's expensive. 330 Bilal's is not cheap. You don't want to go somewhere and, and you know, you got to be a little bit careful with them. But it's also not something that if you camouflage it, most people are going to pay attention to unless they're really looking for it. So what I was doing in Iowa is I would dig the pocket just like normal. I'd put the 280 in front of it. I'd run some sticks down in there. I'd put some grass over the top of the trap. And then that way from the bridge guys with my light and if I needed a small set of binoculars, I could physically see the trap. So it really sped up my trap line when I was doing this. So I could go up to the bridge, turn on the light, catch, no catch, traps fired or it's not fired. So all I could go on in my head in like a second. And if, if I needed to go down there, I'd go down there. If I didn't need to go down there, I didn't, get go, didn't have to go down there because it was so clear to me. So with this, the pan that chips got from expand the pan i could see how i could dig a pocket in that soft mud down there i could i could have you know just have some sticks with me that are in the back of the truck so i'm not you know walling around in the mud trying to find sticks just two things to support it you could put it on a stand if you wanted to but you could dig the pocket put your bait and lure in there your fish head or whatever you're using slam this thing down in front of it with the pan so the pan is just underwater, but it's not gonna seem like any type of threat, and you've got this great big gaping hole. Now, what do you think, what, what there is gonna cause a coon to, to, to stutter step and hesitate? Very, very little. I think the coon catch on this type of set with Chip's pan with a 330 or 280, I think he's got them for 220s if you just can't bring yourself to use the bigger traps but it's gonna give you that opening that, that gives the illusion to the animal that it's a clear shot. And I think it would be death and destruction on a pocket coon line. I really do. Now, we're gonna talk a little bit more about coons. Go back to me when I was talking about when we, me and Ed was down in Louisiana, uh, Mississippi catching all those otter. We're catching 18 a day, most of them <coughs> are in these little bitty creeks that are going everywhere. <coughs> Excuse me. Or you've got water that's coming, you know, out of a, a pond or something like that, and it's not very much. We're not talking a, a great big creek. 
So we're setting them up, we're catching our, we're also just nailing the snot out of coons. If I was gonna go after coons in that manner, or I had a shallow creek in that manner, out with, with Chip's pan, all you've gotta do is set the thing, set it in the middle, and your catches automatically go up. So even though we were catching 18 a day and trying not to, we would have probably bumped that up to somewhere to 20 to 25, if not 30 coons a day, at least on some days, just by having that. But I want you to think of all the little bitty creeks you've got and all the, all the little times that you've seen all the coon tracks in the water, if you could just set this in there with no triggers in his, in his way so it looks like a great big open hole, block it down a little bit, camouflage it up a little bit, but he's got this you know 10 by 10 hole to go through and a raccoon is gonna slither through there almost every single time. And when he tries to slither, he's gonna hit that pan and he's gonna get caught. Slick. Now, on the river where I trap a lot out of a boat, we have a lot of barge traffic. Now, this may not work as good. Like when I was trapping up with, with uh, Jeff and them on the show last year, their rivers and ponds look very different from our rivers and ponds. Most of the time, there it's got this really gradual depth of water going out, and you got the cattails and all that. We ain't got that here. And I'm willing to bet more people listening to this are going to have the situations that I'm getting ready to talk about. On the river with the barge traffic, you got all the water washing up. For the most part, you can see from any area, four or five of these different places where the bank's been washed out and it's almost straight up and down. And a lot of times, it's got an overhang where the, the, the grass roots have kept it there, but the water from the barges and boats have washed it out. And it's pretty much straight up and down. And there'll be a shelf right there. And the water could be, you know, an inch deep to six inches deep. If it's any deeper than that, I think you're, you're, you're going you're to have trouble. But I catch muskrats under there. And I also have issues when I'm trying to use uh, small footholds and stuff for the muskrats that I catch coon under there if the water gets from six inches below and down. Now with this system, all I've got to do is go up to those banks, set it up just like I was doing a high and dry um, bottom edge set, but it's gonna be mostly exposed with that pan at least touching the water. And it's got this great big gaping hole. I can pull some grass down in that the spring that's on the deep water side and kind of block it in. That will be a coon death machine. No doubt in my mind. Now, if you've got creeks that have those tight banks and you've got where you've got a sand, <coughs> a sandbar, kind of visualize this with me, kind of goes out in the water, it's gradual. You've got a different course in the waterway and it goes to a more straight up and down bank, about a foot on where it starts going straight up and down. Put chips, expand the pan, 330 system right there up against that like where you would put a blind set for a foothold, kind of block it in with grass or brush, death and destruction on coon. That's what that would be, death and destruction on coon. And it's fast. That's what's so sweet about this, it's fast. If you're in a canoe, you could set this system and not probably even have to get out of the canoe. If you're in a kayak like me, Trapper, I don't know if, he, he must have better balance than me, I wouldn't try it that way. But I know out of my John boat, I could set that all day long, all day long on the river. Death and destruction on the coon. If you've got where you see the little trails are going through the root rods and the coon's coming up and down and stuff on the water where it goes back down in the water, slam that thing in there. If you've got any type of upside structure on one side, dead coon, absolutely a dead coon. 
So I'm seeing this as a way that if coon prices come up very high and I wanted to really, really target coon, I'm gonna have my DPs up top and I'm gonna have these 330s with these pans in the bottom. And, and if someone doesn't believe me, you know, uh, give it a test for yourself. Put your 220s with the pan from Chip and then try it with the 330 and I know what you're gonna find out if you're gonna be honest with me or honest with yourself. The 330 is gonna outcatch the 220 or the 160 or even the 280 every day of the week. No question. So the point is, and the reason I'm telling you, you gotta use some common sense with it, that's a big trap. You know, that's overkill to a point. But what is the point of doing this? To try to make it like it's a fair fight? And guys from the military, we don't believe in fair fights. Fair fight means you're already lost. So I don't look at it from a fairness point of view. I just wanna catch the coon. And whatever it takes to catch that coon, if it's 20% better than a 220, I'm going with a 330. If it's 20% less misses than it would be with a foothold, I'm going with a 330. That's the way that I'm looking at this. And this seems like in a water situation, if you, if you get creative with how you use them, that you'll have, you'll have coon piled up everywhere and it's fast, uh, you know, as, as much as I hate to say it, except for uh, pocket sets, uh, you're not gonna be using bait or lure. And, the, and a lot of our rivers here where you have beaver, no muskrats, and the, and the barges wash them out, you have all these holes that are anywhere from six inches to two foot around that you could just put this in front of the hole with the pan as long as it's in the water, smear some lure on the top side inside that pocket and go. I mean, if you have T-bars on, on your 330s, I mean, you're talking about setting the trap, setting your T-bar, putting two sticks in there, smearing some bait and gone and it'd be more positive than, than having the foothold. The other cool thing about this is you're gonna have a dead coon. So you're not gonna have to be worrying about what you're gonna do with that coon because he's already gonna be dead. He's not gonna be moving for boaters or other trappers to see or anything. I like that a lot. Dead is always better than having something that's muddying up the water and claws up the whole bank and your presence is so known. You could set this on the very edge of permission where someone could see from a bank with a dead coon and most people, even trappers, would not even know it's there. So you've got all these different ways that you can use this particular type system when it comes to using these cheater pans. Now with beaver and otter, if I was setting those same little creeks for otter and beaver down in Mississippi and Louisiana, this is still gonna be better than using the circle triggers or anything else, because there's no triggers. There's nothing in their face. Think about the difference, if you've seen the, the teachers of night with a beaver, how the beaver reacted to the triggers on the 330. You don't have that issue anymore. I know your beaver catch is gonna go up. Now, is this gonna be something that you can, you know, like put down in, in um, you know, deep channels and stuff? You can raise the pan up. I think you will miss some stuff when you do that, especially otter. You know, so it, it's not like the perfect thing for everything, but in the right situations, I think it, it, it's expanded the usage of the trap in a different way. And especially when it comes to otters that, that definitely have a tendency to be able to get around triggers, if you have shallow water, you're gonna nail them. And it, it's just one of those things that when I saw it, like I said, I mean, it was light bulbs going off. And I've seen people that do all kind of stuff with pans. I've just never seen one that functions this well. It's easy to set and all the different things it has. 
So I wanted to go into that just a little bit about what where I'm kind of like getting excited about to play with for the rest of this season. So hopefully the water goes down or I get to actually use this more than just a few times. To, to, and I'm going to, you know, post some stuff with it on YouTube and, and different things so you can see it. But it, it's just something to think about. Now, you can probably make your own pan somehow or do something like that, but these aren't that expensive. So that, that's the route I'm going to go. I'd rather spend my time trapping than in, in a building somewhere. But that's just me. The last thing I want to talk about <clears throat> is if you're, uh, when you're going out, if you're using a, a gun online and if you're going out of state, one thing you need to do is know what the gun laws are. And you need to not do anything to get yourself in trouble. I've got away with some stuff many, many years ago, and I'm not going to mention the state, but I broke some serious laws and I did not know it. And I wouldn't do it if I, if I thought I was breaking the laws, but it, I went to a different part of the country where I couldn't even conceive of the idea that it was against the law to have a pistol, much less not have a pistol on a trap line. So I did it the way I've always done it, and it was loaded. Now, you can get in trouble with that. The other thing I want to, and if you're going through other states, make sure that you follow the laws with that. Because if you're going up the coast somewhere and you got to go through Maryland or Jersey or Massachusetts or something like that, you better know what the law is if you get stopped. Because you don't want to go to jail over just having a trap line gun that's not unloaded right or separated right or some other craziness or you've got... 22s that are considered hollow points in Jersey and you're going to go to prison over it, something like that, you know, so you got to be careful. But the main thing that I want to talk just a little bit about guns with, cheap guns are okay if they shoot good enough. Now, I've seen a lot of stuff on YouTube and videos lately and hearing other people with so-called professionals that I don't think they could hit the dumpster I'm looking at right now if you put them two foot away from it with a pistol. Now, I don't know if the pistol is that cheap or that bad or they never touch a gun except during trapping season or they're, they're afraid of the recoil of a 22. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. But you need to have a gun if you're going to dispatch an animal with it where you can shoot the right spot from three or four foot away consistently. If it takes you two or three times to kill an animal, guys, you're not doing your job. You're really not. Now, every now and then, you're going to have a big boar coon. You're going to have to shoot two or three times, and you're putting in the sweet spot every time. You know, that, that's just a fact of life. But if you're consistently having to pull the trigger several times to kill a beaver, a raccoon, a coyote, or whatever, you need to practice. And for goodness sake, don't put it on a video when it takes you six shots to kill something. And it, it's obvious you've missed it, you know, four out of the five times. Don't put it on a video. Don't pay, don't post it on Facebook or, or something like that. Uh, one, it makes you look very incompetent, and it makes trappers look incompetent. And if it takes that long to kill an animal that's in a trap with a pistol, you're pretty incompetent. Now, that's not something, that's not a slam like to, you know, putting somebody down. Guys, just practice. For goodness sake, it's not that much to practice with something that's going to be three foot away from you. Get some targets, put it down on the ground, put small circles, and when you can hit that circle consistently over and over again, you know, weeks and weeks apart, hey, you're right on. We're not talking about competition shooting. We're not talking about, you know, reloading with your offhand and all that other type of stuff. 
we're just talking about shooting a pistol. Now, cheap guns with short barrels make that a lot harder. If you're if you want a cheap gun, you know there's knockoffs of Rugers and Rugers and stuff like that, or cowboy-looking guns, revolvers. They got you know four, five, six-inch barrels on them that really help you out. If you're using these little bitty throwaway, you know, uh, pistol crack guns or something. Yeah, th those are not really made to shoot anything except a person at point blank range. And if you're shooting a 22, you can have the sights are usually bad, everything like that. What I like is a Ruger Mark III. You use one forever. You know, I mean, it's I've used it so much that that uh, dispatching an animal is second nature. Don't even have to think about it. Pull the gun up and shoot it. Um, you know, you don't have to go that expensive. Ruger's have got a lot more expensive now than than when I've got mine. You know, but uh, you don't have to go and buy eleven hundred, you know, dollar Smith and Wesson Super Trail, whatever, you know, chrome looking pistol either. But you need to have something that can actually shoot. Now, if you're using, if you if you're stuck with a rifle, one of the the neatest little guns I ever saw used on a trap line. If you're in a state where pistols are just, it's the regulations are too crazy. Uh, when I was with Newt. He came down, and it's the first time at that time I've ever seen a cricket. And a cricket, I don't even know who makes it, but you can Google it, uh, cricket 22 rifle. It's a single shot, short kid's rifle is what it is. And it's got iron sights on it, and if your eyes are getting like mine are sometimes, you might want to put like a little cheap red dot or something on there and zero it in. But I, but the thing that I liked about that, for the guys that are, that are you know up north and have these crazy laws, that's a single shot, put the bullet in, and fire it gun. It's got the little pin on the back you pull back. It did very well. It was very small. It was very light. It's not something you're going to shoot squirrels with because the stock on the thing's made for a six-year-old, it looks like. But for, um, for dispatching animals, it's really cool. And the reason that it's really cool, different from, say, one of my, you know, um, my Rugers that shoots 25-round clips. You know the magazines that hold the 25. That's not this type of gun. So if you're only allowed, if you have to unload your gun every single time you get in and out of the truck or off the four wheeler or different things like that with the cricket, you just have the bullets with you. You pull back, put the, put one in there, dispatch the animal, take that shell out, put it in your pocket, and then all the other stuff that you'd have to do if you had a, you know like a Ruger or or one of the the Marlins that's got the the shells that go into the front of the barrel, you'd have to unload that every single time. The cricket is just really, really handy for the guys that's got a lot. But the main point, guys, is practice. I know, I know guys, they, they, you know, there's four things all guys think they're good at. They think they're good at making fire. They think they can all shoot. They think they're all the best driver, and they think they're the best in bed. And most guys aren't really good at any of them if put to the test. And there's nothing wrong with that. You can become good at all of them, but you're gonna to have to practice a little bit. And learning and practicing at something three foot away so you're competent when you're on your trap line, that shouldn't be downgrading to anybody. That should be uh, one of those steps that you kind of look forward to because you're gonna be more proficient when you're out on the line and it's just gonna go better. Plus, you're, you're not gonna to have to shoot the poor thing four, five, six times, change the, the magazine out or whatever you gotta do because you haven't taken the time to shoot it. And I know even though most guys think they're born with the gift of shooting, if you're not from a shooting culture and you only shoot when you're out on the trap line, you're going to have a lot of misses. Not that you're 
you know, less of a man for it. It's just you don't shoot as much. I shoot a lot. 45s, the five sevens, I, I shoot a lot. So to me, being around the firearm is very, uh, I mean, I live with one. It's on me. All, there's one on me now and I'm in my living room. But it's something I'm very comfortable with because our culture, in my culture especially, is very used to it. And if, it, if you're not used to it, it's not being less of a man to get competent with it. That's all I'm trying to say. So, uh, and don't. And if you, if you're not competent, don't post it. For goodness sake, do not post it. Well, that's going to wrap up this week. I'm not exactly sure what next week's going to be, but I have a feeling it's probably going to be pretty interesting, and you will definitely want to hear what's going on. So y'all go out and have some fun. Enjoy yourself out in the woods. Get a little bit of blood and dirt under your fingernails. And remember what it is to be a person, or better yet, a human. Oh, Polly, oh, Polly, it's for your sake alone. I've left my old father, my country, my home I've left my old mother to weep and to mourn I am a rebel soldier And far from my home Great shot and musket and the cannons lumbered loud. As many a mangled body, the blanket for the shroud. As many a mangled body left on the fields alone. I am. A rebel soldier And far from my home
And far from my home 